Good morning, beloved Orangewood. I trust you're all well this morning. Isn't it amazing that songs can be like mile markers in our lives? Uh, Have you ever noticed that maybe a song that you hear on the radio takes you right back to your high school or or maybe your marriage or the birth of a child or maybe it was a song that takes you back to a hard place as well. I don't know. But that song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, I know I've told you this, is one of the mile markers in my life. Uh, It's an important song in my life. Because it was that song that my mom uh, sang to my granddad uh, on his deathbed. Uh, my granddad was the one who uh, Christianity broke into our family through his repentant life. And as he was lying on his deathbed, my mom sang that song to him. Um, and he literally turned his eyes upon Jesus. He lifted up off the bed, uh, reached out to heaven, and passed away. And so how amazing, uh, so great to, to know that story, the heritage from me uh, passed on to me as my mom sang to my granddad the truth and sang to me as a child. And by God's grace, I know that when we turn our eyes upon Jesus, when we look into his wonderful face, isn't it amazing that the things of life, they grow strangely dim because we know that we have some a treasure, a treasure from God that this world can never provide for us. Well, this morning is Sanctity of Life Sunday. It's a Sunday that the church sets apart to, to remember uh, the value of life the value and the worth of life both in the womb and outside of the womb uh, is a wonderful Sunday for me to continue preaching a series on worth because we realize that our worth is found in the God who created us. This incredible God who, who speaks and as he speaks, all things come into existence. All things tell his story. But he, he didn't share his image with anything in creation except man and woman. And when he looks at us, when God sees you, He sees a reflection of himself. And because of that reality, he sees infinite worth in us because he is an infinite God. What what joy that is. Uh, uh, You probably hear a little bit of my voice. I pride myself. I'm a man who is never sick. I never get sick. I got sick this weekend, um, this week, I should say, and been fighting the flu. So um, I'm sorry if uh, my voice sounds a little bit like Kermit the Frog today. I, I hope not. Someone told me it sounded more like Marlon Brando. I thought, yeah, I'll go with that. But anyway, I do hope you uh, can bear with me. Okay, fill in the blank. A fool and his money soon part. Uh, You've probably heard it. A fool and his money soon part. Well, let me ask you all a question. Uh, How much did you spend on Powerball tickets? All right. I've heard a couple boastfully with great prize. Zero. Me too. But I hope that none of you uh, spent as much as Dan Dan Bilzerian spent. Dan Bilzerian supposedly spent, you ready for this, $100,000. He dropped 100 G's on Powerball tickets. Wow. Feeling like the risk uh, is well worth the reward because, man, if you win, what was it up to? Like, 1.6 1.6 billion was that where it ended at? Um, this Bilzerian, it's very interesting, dude. Uh, my my kids actually much more inept in social network were the ones who showed me a picture of his posting. He he posted a picture of a hundred grand. Uh, he said this is about going to go toward Powerball tickets, and then they also post a picture of all the lottery tickets, a huge bag of lottery tickets, and said, you know, I hope my assistants ready to go see if I've, I've actually won everything. 
Bilzerian, well, you know what he is? He's, he's a professional poker player. How do you know? How do you get to that? I don't know, but he's a professional poker player. Apparently, he's done pretty well. He's able to spend 100G on Powerball tickets. A little bit more about this guy. I never knew this was something. According to Wikipedia, ready for this? He's an international social media personality. What in the world is an international social media personality? It's somebody who loves selfies. And somebody who posts himself apparently all over the world and he has money. And, and let me encourage you, do not Google him right now. Do not go on social media right now. It's not appropriate, uh, really. It's, it's, he doesn't seem to be having a G-rated life. That is for sure. But again, he thought, well, you know, I'll drop 100K to see if I can win $1.3 billion. That's 1.6 or whatever it was. What about for us? Well, for me, here's, here's my thought. I think if God is in control of all things, I think if God wants me to be a gazillionaire, he's going to give it to me any way he wants, right? He, he owns it all according to the Bible. So the good news, I'm like those who pridefully said, I didn't buy a ticket. But the reality of God, he's probably whispers in my ear. I don't know about yours, but why don't you take care of the stuff I've given you first, right? Why don't you be a good steward, uh, Honor me knowing that, uh, that for me, uh, I'll always provide for you. Deal with what you have. All right, so how is it of what you have? It's January. You know what January means? The bills from Christmas have come in, have they not? Have you any buyer's remorse? Um, have you gotten your, your Visa bill or your American Express bill and thought, oh my goodness, we spent this? I hope as your pastor that that you plan things like Christmas according to a budget. I hope that you uh, don't let like, emotions get in the way. And when you see that shiny new toy uh, that you buy, and I hope that you had a, a plan. And I hope that you're not having any buyer's regret here in January. But I also know this. If you look over your bills, probably the presents that you bought that were most expensive were given to the ones you most loved. Now, that makes sense, right? If, if you spent this Christmas the most on your mailman, unless you're married to him or her, you really should go see some help, right? I mean, there should be a correlation between how much we are willing to spend, how much we're willing to give uh, on those that we really love. There should be that direct correlation. And again, if you're not quite sure, look at your checkbook uh, over the last December. Look at your visa bill. Uh, make sure. And the question I always say is, I didn't spend the most on myself, did I? I mean, I hope the reality that I, I spent the most on those around me. Well, this morning we're going to look at what is God's willingness to spend on you and me? What is God willing to risk for the reward of you and me having a relationship with him? What, what is he willing to spend for us? What is he willing to, to pay as a purchase price for us. And it's incredible good news. We've been looking at worth. Um, we're in the midst of a six-week six series we started last week. And we realized last week that the Bible tells us, the Bible story tells us, that each and every one of you has great worth. And the great worth that you and I have is a creative worth, that we have been made in God's image. Again, of all the things that God created only us, only male and female are the ones that when God looks at, he sees himself. Let me say it another way. God didn't entrust 
anything else, not the mountains, not the stars in the universe, not the ocean, not any animal that he created. He didn't give any of them this great benefit and blessing of being made in his image, being stamped in the likeness of God. So according to the Bible, your worth begins in the one who created you. It's not in what you do so much. It's more in the reality of of who he is. And that the Bible says that each one of you, no matter what the mirror says, no matter where your bank account is right now, no matter what struggles you're having at home or at work, the Bible says each and every one of us that we're fearfully and we're wonderfully made because we're made in God's image. But the Bible also tells us this, that we'll never know our worth until we know our God. That you'll never know your worth until you know the God who made you. Once, once your heart rests in the reality of who he is and who you are in Christ Jesus, once you realize that he is the pearl of great price, once you see him for your God, your Savior, then something amazing happens. You see yourself and you see the worth through his eyes. Well, this week, I have something called the purchase price worth. I wish I came up with a more clever phrase than purchase price. But what I'm trying to say is this. What, according to Scripture, was God willing to spend on you to make you his own? Because won't that tell us our worth? Now, we looked at last week, our worth is in the fact that God created us. But, but if we look at what God's word says about you and what God was willing to spend for you to be his, it should tell us what God thinks about us. We're going to look at three different passages of scripture. If you don't want to play, uh, uh, you know, flip through the Bible today, you'll see in your, in your uh, bulletin the scripture there for you. We're going to look in 1 Corinthians 6. We're also going to be in 1 Peter 1 and Revelation 5. I've added one verse. It's not listed in Revelation 5. I've added verse 10. Um, but let's be mindful that, that God's, God's story is a story that is not just to entertain us. It's to transform us. And God wants to tell us who we are and who he is and how we can find life and life abundantly in him and how we can find our worth in him. So no matter if we find ourselves in the letter that Paul wrote to uh, the church in Corinth or that which the apostle Peter wrote or that which John wrote at Patmos in Revelation, this is all God's word and God's story for us to tell us who he is and the way he thinks of us. Let's hear the word of the Lord. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own. This is talking to believers, those who've embraced Christ. You're not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. What was that price? Now let's look to uh, 1 Peter. First Peter 1 tells us this in verses 18 and 19. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold. God didn't use silver or gold to purchase us, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. This lamb of God is also picked up again in Revelation 5, 
Revelation 5 tells us of this, the lamb that was slain and what God was willing to pay for us in 5 verses 9 and 10. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed, you purchased people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Let us pray. Oh, Father God, it's so imperative that we hear again from you this morning. That God, when we consider our worth, we have to see it through your eyes and understand it according to your word. So God, send your Holy Spirit with power. Speak through a weak, broken vessel like me. Give us ears to hear your voice. Give us minds to understand your word and what our worth is to you according to your word. Give us hearts, God, that each and every one of us that will embrace your love, your truth, and your son. And God, would you be with us so powerfully that you give us feet that would walk in a manner worthy of your name. God, the things that I say that are wrong are merely my opinion. May those things fall away and be forgotten quickly. But the things that are said that are true, that show us our worth in Christ Jesus. God, would you use those things? Would you press those things deeply upon our souls so that we could find who we are in your eyes? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. If you want to follow along, there's an outline for you, a simple outline in your bulletin. And the first thing, again, that we we see is that The Bible story is this. The story of the Bible is that that God is a God who has given us our worth. He's given us our worth because he's made us in his reflection, his image. But the Bible story tells us that we rebelled against God. It didn't take us very long. According to the Bible, just three chapters into the story, Genesis 3, man and women, you know what we did? We tried to find our, our worth apart from God. We tried to find our worth in who we were apart from him and what we did and who we are as far as doing stuff. And it was disastrous. The result of of our longing, the result of us saying to God, well, God, thank you for making us in your image. We'll take it from here. Thank you, God, but we'll try to figure out who we are apart from you. Everything fell to pieces. According to the Bible story, it was such a big event when when man and woman sinned and rebelled against God, trying to find their worth apart from him, that it's called a fall. As a matter of fact, according to the Bible story, everything, creation, you and me, everything was affected by this fall. But, but the beauty and the love of the Bible is incredible because God is a relentless lover of his people. I hope you heard that because every soul needs to hear that. This God of the Bible... He's a relentless lover of his people. He didn't stop pursuing us. When we rebelled and turned from him, the story of the Bible is this, is a God who won't let you go, who can't get over you, who who doesn't say, I'm sick and tired of you, a God who continually pursues, a God who forever loves. And the story of the Bible is a God who says, I will do anything I can to make sure that my people are home. 
I'll do anything. I'll separate heaven and earth. I'll, I'll do all I can do to make sure that you and I are home, that you and I know how deeply and profoundly we are loved in God's eyes. What an incredible God. One of the major themes of the Bible is how God does just that, how God goes to great lengths to purchase back his people for himself. One of the most important themes of the Old Testament is that God's people, because of a famine, they left the promised land and they sojourned into Egypt. And while they were in Egypt, God's people, they became enslaved. And they became enslaved for 400 years. But the Bible says that God is a God who hears and he heard the cry of his people. Let's just hit pause here. 400 years. That's a lot of crying. That's a lot of calling out. But God is a God who says, I hear in my perfect timing I'll act. And I think that we have to realize how many of you could say, I've been crying a real long time in my life. I've been crying out. I've been feeling enslaved. There's a lot of things that I've really been struggling with. The good news is there is a God who hears and he hears the cry of his people. And God would come and he would would pay the price to make sure that his people were set free. And the incredible price he paid, according to the Bible, is is he sent plagues. He sent plagues on the Egyptians. And and these 10 plagues, they they were really kind of uh, to, to... show that the gods of Egypt were no gods at all. They were to mock their gods. So things like blood in the Nile and frogs and gnats and darkness and all the things that they worshiped, God was saying, I'm the only God who really is. But Pharaoh, who had enslaved God's people, his heart got hard and he, he wouldn't let him go. And so God sent the worst plague, the, the biggest plague, the, the death of a firstborn son. And after the death of the firstborn son, Pharaoh's going to drive him out. As a matter of fact, he's going to give them their stuff. says, just get out of here. God's going to make sure he sets his people free and pays for them. But there's this really interesting story that God is going to distinguish between his people and the Egyptians who who didn't know and love him. And he he asked his people to do something that, that on the surface for you and me, we might read this and say, this is a crazy story. But that night that that the angel of death was going to come. And that night that, that the firstborn son were going to be taken, he says, I want you to take a spotless lamb. I want you to take a spotless lamb. I want you to sacrifice the spotless lamb. And then I want you to take the blood of the spotless lamb and I want you to rub it over the doorpost of all who believe. And death will pass over. And it happened that way. According to the Bible, they took this spotless lamb. It became known as the Passover lamb. The God will say, I'm going to pay for the freedom of my people. I'm going to set them free. And I'm going to do it through the, the blood of a lamb, a Passover lamb, so that they could leave slavery and head to the promised land. You know, that's an incredible story. But that story points to an even more incredible story. Because that Passover lamb was really one who pointed to the ultimate Passover lamb. According to 1 Corinthians Paul calls Jesus Christ the Passover lamb of God. That that Jesus would come, he would shed his blood. Now you gotta get this. He would shed his blood to release us from the slavery of sin and death, to pay for us, and to lead us to a, a promised land where we'll forever be with God. What was God willing to spend for us? God was willing to send his own son 
Jesus to come and rescue us. You see, the first thing we realize is we were purchased by God. We're purchased by God. I love what it says. We're not our own. We're not our own because why? Well, God purchased us. We're purchased by the blood of Christ. And first Peter again says, you know, you weren't purchased by God by things like silver and gold. God, God shared and gave his very best for you. He gave his only son, the precious blood of Christ, the blood of the lamb. You know, I think the story always stays a story until it becomes personal. Spurgeon once said, if you could look at the cross of Christ and not weep, I don't think you've ever seen it. But if you could realize that, that we had separated ourselves from God because of our sin, but God would pursue us to the point where he purchases us back, even by the shedding of his own son's blood, when you realize that that crimson flow on the cross was for your sin, for my sin, when it becomes deeply personal, you start to understand your worth. Your worth in God's eyes. Romans 3.23 says, The wages of sin is death. That because God is holy, any sin or rebellion in his eyes, I mean, the, the just punishment from a holy God is, is death itself. And so maybe you're new to the Bible story and try to say, well, I don't understand how he purchased me with his blood. He's offering a substitute for sinners like us. He's shedding his blood. So you ready for this? We don't have to shed ours. He's giving his life so we don't have to give ours. Scripture says this, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. In God's economy, in God's story, a sacrifice had to be made. How much are you worth to God? How much does God value you? He sent his son to bleed, to die, so that you and I could be his and a part of his family. A little boy named David, uh, he had a great place of growing up. He grew up on the intercoastal Um, The two things he loved, he loved making things. He was a very uh, engineering type young boy, very talented boy, and he loved the sea. He loved the fact that he lived close enough uh, to an outlet out into the Gulf that he would be able to see the ships head out in the morning, especially the fishing ships, uh, to go out and then to come back in the the evening, uh, day in and day out. He longed to be on one of those ships. Little David uh, made himself a a boat. Uh, he made himself a ship, and it wasn't an easy little boat. I mean, it was pretty elaborate. Uh, he got the wood, and he put it together, and he got the, the glue and the pitch just right, uh, that it was able to be watertight. And he made the sails, and he made this beautiful little boat, and buffed it, and colored it, and did everything he could. He couldn't wait to see, is this thing going to work? The last thing he did was attach a string to it, so when he went to the river's edge and he put it in the water, he would see, is this seaworthy? To David's great joy, it was. It didn't leak. As a matter of fact, it, it, it sailed with great beauty. When a wind came up and caught the sails, and uh, that little boat took off. and got into a current, and the current was such, and the wind was such that it was stronger. Maybe the water had rotted away that little string. I don't know, but it snapped. And the boat sailed away. And there goes David running down the bank, trying to find his his boat, trying to get to it. But eventually it sails out of sight. He goes home weeping, feels like he's forever lost. His prized possession on its maiden voyage, it's gone. A few weeks later after school, 
He walks by a familiar store, a toy store that he has walked by uh, his entire life. And he looks in the window and guess what's in the window? His boat. Someone found it. So he went screaming into the door, uh, so excited. Sir, 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 you have my boat. You have my boat in the window. I made that. That's so wonderful. Where'd you get it? Well, so I bought that from somebody. Well, it's my boat. I made it. He said, well, if you want it to be your boat, you pay for it. Told him how much it would be. He had to run home, empty out his piggy bank, spend everything he could to buy back the boat that he had made. In many ways, that boat was twice his. He was a creator and he was the purchaser of that boat. It's a story. But the story has a good point. And that's who we are. We're twice God's. God has every right to all of us. Listen, because he is the one who created us. He created us in his image of great worth. But we're his by creation. But we're also his by purchase. That he would purchase us with the blood of his son. So the first thing we see is this. Uh, Our value is seen in what God's willing to pay for us. And we were purchased by God. And the second thing is this. We were purchased for God. We were purchased for God, not just for show, not just to sit on God's mantle, but for go. He purchased us for a reason, to do that which he's created us to do. Any good preacher who wants to use an illustration probably wants to talk about the classic movie, Toy Story. All right, I know I'm a little dated. My kids are older. I, I, I don't understand uh, um, Frozen. I mean, I, I kind of miss that era. But for me, it was, it was Buzz, Lightyear, and Woody, and Toy Story. If you don't know the story, uh, the, the characters, Andy's characters uh, come alive when he's not in the room. And uh, Woody, the cowboy, is his favorite. And he's got a new rival called Buzz Lightyear. And when Buzz Lightyear shows up, Buzz has got a big problem because Buzz Lightyear doesn't realize he's a toy. He doesn't realize who he is. And so, listen, if you don't know who you are, uh, you don't know what you're supposed to do. And he didn't know his his purpose because he didn't really know his owner or whose he was. There's a great scene in the movie where, where Woody's trying to tell Buzz, Buzz, you're a toy. And you're owned by a boy named Andy. And he looked down on his foot and he saw etched on his foot Andy's name. And he realized for the first time whose he was. He realized that there was one who loved him and one who owned him. And once he realized that reality, it was all allowed him to know what he was called to do. He had to first know whose he was before he knew what he was to do. You see, this is true with you and me. You and I have great worth. We were created in God's image. We have great worth. We were purchased by the blood of the lamb, but we were created for him. He's etched his name on us. He spilled his blood for us so that we would be his. It says God redeemed us. He's he's ransomed us for himself. He did it for himself. He he did it uh, so that we could see him 
through each other's lives. It says this, glorify God in your body, 1 Corinthians 6.20. Because you were bought with a price, because you are not your own, it should impact the way you live. How you live matters. Why? How you live matters because of your worth, because God, what God was willing to spend for you. Again, our worth is not found in what we do. Our worth is found in what God has done for us. Does that make sense? But that worth should impact, that worth should impact everything that we do. We don't find it in what we do, but because we found it in Christ Jesus, it should be impactful on all we do. It says this in Revelation 5.10, that God has ransomed for himself, he's purchased from himself a people, a nation from every tribe and language to do what? To be a kingdom of priests to our God. Now, first of all, let me tell you how cool that is. Because this is the exact imagery that the Old Testament says of the Israelites. Those who were called to God by his grace and who believed in, in Christ's coming. He says to his people, you're a kingdom of priests. Now, most of us here are thinking, what in the world? God has redeemed me to be a kingdom of what? Priest? There's two big problems with that. One is most of us don't have any understanding of kingdom. Most of us have a very hard time. What does it mean? And let me simply say it's the rule and reign of Christ over all things. But also for many of us, the word priest is not a good thing. I mean, sometimes there might be abuse or, or different things or, or religion without relationship. But this is what God says of us. I've redeemed you for myself. I've redeemed you to be a kingdom of priests. So you want to say, well, what does that mean? Let me give you two thoughts. What does a priest do? Well, a priest's job, according to the Bible, is to represent God to the people. Your job, God has purchased you for himself, ready for this, to represent God to the people around you. You are the place where God and man have met. It says you are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks to come. But you're the place that, that others should look at your lives and they should see him. Remember, all that God requires of you, God provides for you. All you have to be is you in love with, with Jesus and walking in a manner worthy of his name to the best of your ability. But it's letting the world smell Jesus in your life because you're the aroma of Christ. It's, it's letting the world see Jesus in your broken life because you and I, we're the light of the world. It's letting the world taste the goodness of God because we're the salt of the earth. Because we're the kingdom of priests. We're the ones that he wants to tell his story through. So a priest does, does this. He represents God to the people. He offers a sacrifice. Really good news. You don't have to kill any lambs or goats or bulls. The sacrifice for sin was sufficient through the work of Christ. When Jesus said it's finished, there's no more need for blood to spill. He spilled enough. All to him I owe. But now we give our lives as a living sacrifice. Now the sacrifice we make is, is our lives. Romans 12, 1. We're a living sacrifice. Well, not only do priests represent God to the people, they also represent the people to God. We're the ones who should be praying for our neighbors, loving our neighbors, showing the love of Christ, representing the people to God. Who are you praying for? Who are you bringing? Who do you see that breaks your heart? Prayers and petitions to God. Dan Bilzerian 
I wonder if he had any regrets dropping a hundred K on lottery tickets. My guess is if you have a hundred K to spend on lottery tickets, maybe you got another hundred K you're not worried about. I don't know. But God was willing to drop a whole lot more for you to be his. Do you think he ever has regrets? You know, God says, I've come to give you life and life abundantly. God says, to have my people as my own, he has no regrets. There's no buyer's remorse for you and me, as sinful as we are. Incredible. How do you feel about yourself? What does a mirror tell you about yourself? Where is your worth? Find it in your God who is willing to spend all on you. You know, we talk about risk and reward. You know what the good news of the gospel is this? God took all the risk. God so loved, he gave. God so loved, he gave his only son to the point of death, even death on the cross. God took all the risk. Ready for this? So we can have all the rewards. So we can have all the rewards of forgiveness of sins and being adopted in the family, to be loved and to be his. God risked it all so that we could taste and know the rewards of his life, death, and resurrection. This is Martin Luther King weekend. I don't know what that means to you. For some, it may just mean a day off tomorrow. Um, Everybody who has a Monday holiday, I always feel like they're encroaching on my day off. I take Mondays off. So welcome to Mondays. Don't get used to it. Uh, But what was Martin Luther King willing to risk for the reward of freedom for his people? No matter what you think of him, what, what an incredible man. I mean, what he was willing to risk for the reward of his people to be free. For African Americans to be seen rightfully as image bearers of God. It's just... It's just such a small example of what Jesus was willing to risk for you and your freedom. He would pay it all so that you could be his and you could be free. I asked this question last week and I'm going to ask it again this week as we close. What would your life look like if you believed this to be true? What would your life look like if you really believed that your worth was 100% settled in the fact that God made you in his image and he purchased you with the blood of his son, Jesus? What would your life look like? What would you be willing to risk now that you realize that the reward he has given you is such a great salvation? Would you possibly risk loving somebody that wouldn't love you back? Would you possibly risk giving something without any recognition? Would you possibly risk doing something for God's glory alone and that was enough? You see, until we're settled, until our worth is settled in God's eyes, we will forever be pursuing it and what the world has to offer. We miss it. But once we realize the incredible reward we've been given because of the risk of Christ on the cross, we are free. We are free and we are alive. And he says, you can't risk anything. You can't lose anything. I've given you all things. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll never turn my back on you. You're mine and that's settled. Now go and live and live freely and fully and abundantly. Let us pray. Jesus, you paid it all. 
All to you we truly owe. Our sin had left a crimson stain. But you, Jesus, because of the blood of the Lamb that was shed for sinners like me in this congregation, you have made us white as snow. You have made us those who by nature are children of wrath. You've brought us near by the blood of Christ. We thank you for that incredible story in Exodus of the Passover lamb and how that theme runs through the Bible and finds its full value and weight in the sacrifice of your son Jesus, the ultimate Passover lamb. And Father, I know that there are a lot of indicators around us that want to tell us what we're worth. A mirror wants to reflect what we're worth. A bank account, a a relationship. But God, you want us to find our worth in you. In you alone. Because in you alone, we can be set free. And Father, I pray for the one here this morning who's never bowed a knee to Jesus as Lord and Savior. God, I pray that today would be the day that they would realize that they can't find their worth apart from you, but you've made them for yourself. And Jesus, the sacrifice you were willing to make to bring them home. And God, if there's one here this morning who's yet to embrace that, may today be the day where they confess their sins and embrace Christ as their Savior, and they, the soul can experience its worth. But God, for the rest of us who are already yours, May we believe this. May we believe the good news of the gospel, that Jesus risked it all so that we could have all the reward of life and life abundantly in him. May we walk in a manner worthy of that reality, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.